Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, found in the New Testament section of our Bibles. First, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Oh God, tell us what we need to hear. And here, there is so much to hear. And show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. My brothers and sisters, I want to again wish you all a, a blessed, blessed new year. I want to wish that for all of First Prayers. This is our first Sunday where we can be together and uh, because of all the, the issues related to the pandemic, we've made the call not to, to gather in person. But some of us are here, and for those of you at home, I wish you a blessed, blessed new year. Before we come to the communion table, I want to take this opportunity to begin this brand new series that I've been thinking about for the better part of uh, last year. 
For the next five Sundays, we will reflect on what we're calling defining values, the values that define us, who we are as a people, who God has called us to be as the people of the First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. And why talk about values? Why talk about values? Because I think what values do, they help us to answer these two questions. What are we known for? What are we known for? And what do we want to be known for? And there's a slight variation on those two questions, right? What are we known for? In other words, what do people on the outside know about us? And what do we on the inside want to be known for? We all have values, don't we? When I speak of values, I mean those things that define who we are that says to us, you know, these things are really, really important for us. We're defined by what we consider to be important. We're defined by our priorities. And so if money matters to us more than anything else, then money defines who we are. And the same would be true for churches and other organizations. Values are guiding they're what I call definitional principles. No matter what's happening, and this is something we need to know, no matter what's happening, these values will surface. And the way they surface is the way we make decisions, the way we resolve conflicts, the way we set our priorities for life and for the church. It's based on what we think is important. Values drive the direction of our lives. And so, for example, if I say prayer is a guiding principle, it's a value for my life, then no matter what is happening, whether I'm on the mountaintop or whether I'm in the valley, because prayer is so important to me, I am going to continue to bring the fullness of my life and my experiences before God in prayer. Or if I say generosity is one of my values, but I never find ways, I never find ways to give of myself or my time or my resources, or if I only give when it's convenient for me, then my value on generosity would be bogus, right? Because it doesn't guide my life. What I value and hold as important always comes out, always comes out, in my behavior, and the same then is true of churches. Now, you may not know, or maybe you have forgotten, that our church has a set of guiding principles that were developed a couple, maybe three, four years ago at a, a January leadership retreat. Every January, our church and our leaders, staff, and our lay leaders get together, and we try to find ways to strengthen our leadership and our sense of what God's calling us to do. And in 2018, coming out of that time together, we came up with these defining values. And, and what we were saying back then is that we want our community to be defined by these values. We want when people say, who are the people of First Prayers, that they'll be able to say just from that list, yeah, this, this is exactly who these people are. Christ-like love. And this morning, I'm going to spend a moment just talking about that before we come to the table. We'll talk about what it means to be a spirit-filled people. What it means to be a people who are bounded by Scripture. What it means to be a people who are compassionate and a people 
who live with unrestrained joy. So let's just focus on that first one, and over the coming Sundays we will pick up the others. But Christ-like love, what does it mean to be a people who are defined by Christ-like love? Well, for one thing, it means this, that before we ask how many members are in the church, before we ask what was the attendance, before we ask how many are tithing, how many are giving, how many people in our church have PhDs, how many people in our church are from the university background, before we ask all of those superficial question, questions, we need to ask how well do we display Christ-like love, listen to this now, at home, at church, and in the world. More than the growth of the church, more than the beauty of our building, more than money in the bank, we're saying that that quality, these qualities, should define every person who calls this church their spiritual home. In other words, what we're saying is these values shape the first pres member or participant. And so even if we expanded the base of our membership, and yes, we want to do that, and even if we raised incredible sums of money, and I say bring it on, and even if we built other facilities, we would have failed if these values are missing and are not shaping and guiding how we live before God, before each other, and before the world. Because you see, in the end, values determine purpose and reason for being. And so a fundamental, uh, a frequently asked question that I have asked, you have asked, that a lot of people ask, people living all over this planet ask, why am I here? What's my purpose in being here? And behind this question is a desire to know meaning and purpose. Everyone has this desire to have a solid identity. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And in today's text, we encounter these three broad categories of blessings that define who we are and why we're here. And these blessings, I want you to just know this up front. These blessings are given and they can never, ever be earned. Think about it this way. This is one of my fantasies, and it's never happened, and I know it will never happen. But let's just say one day you're at home, and a FedEx truck pulls up out the front of your house, and this person walks out, and they deliver this thick FedEx envelope. And when you open it, it is from a law firm that you've never heard of before, and you, there's a letter in it and some other documents, and you start to read the letter, and it informs you that you've been included in a will. You read the letter carefully once. You read the letter carefully twice. You even read it again three times, and it tells you it is from a relative that you barely know who died maybe a year ago and left you an incredible sum of money. First thought, at least in my head, I would say, ah, oh, somebody's trying to play a mean joke on me. This is a hoax. This can't be true. Second thought, okay, I'm going to investigate this. Third thought, after investigating it, my goodness, it is true. And then the final thought is, why me? 
I didn't even send a Christmas card to this person. I never asked them for a single dime. I didn't beg them anything, and yet this long-lost relative died and was thinking of me and left me all this money. I didn't earn it. I didn't ask for it. I was, it was simply given to me. Weeks later, the check arrives, and you now have this huge responsibility for the rest of your life trying to figure out how do I responsibly spend and use these funds. When you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, it's like that thick FedEx envelope informing you that you are doubly and triply blessed. Because what you see in this passage, you see the blessing of God the Father, you see the blessings of God the Son, and you see the blessings of God the Holy Spirit. God is referred to as the God of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, listen to this now, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that God chose you. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Now that to me is just mind-expanding, that God knew you, that God adopted you as his child through Jesus according, listen to this now, according to God's good pleasure. God was just having a good time, and he just kind of poured it on according to the good pleasure of his will. And then there's the blessing of God the Son, that through God the Son, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then we have the blessings of God the Holy Spirit. We heard, when we heard the gospel, Paul said, and we believed it, we were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. A seal of approval, a stamp of approval that God says, you know what, you're mine. Remember when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. It said that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, was hovering above him. And then there was this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. I am so pleased with him. That's what God is saying to you this morning. We have God the Holy Spirit living within us. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised, that he purchased so that we could be his very own people. The promise that God says, I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you. And so it leads me to this question about identity and purpose, because I struggled with that for so many years in my life. Not because I didn't know I was supposed to be a pastor, but I just always wondered, is this it? Where do we derive our identity and our purpose? Do we get it from the Spirit of God and God's Word, or do we get it from our culture, do we get our, our identity and our purpose from our greatest achievement? I think of Henri Nguyen when he said that most people today say, I am what I do. We are only significant, only purposeful on the basis of what we do. And I say to you this morning that if that's true for you, that is really dangerous ground when we equate our self-worth based on what we do. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I do, and I, I feel good about what I do, and I want you to feel the same way. But my self-worth and my identity is not based on what I do. And so I often ask this question to a lot of people. Who are you when you cannot do what you do? 
And I've read that a lot of pastors, when they retire, they go through a real slump. But it's not just pastors. A lot of us go through a, a wilderness, sort of a, a wandering in the wilderness because that nine-to-five job or the things that we were so, so involved in, once we step away, we lose a sense of who we are. So that's something to think about. And I think Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 answers that question that we are more than what we do. Now, do you notice when you read that there are no commands in this section that we read? In other words, there's no, okay, now go and do this. When you read these words, they're describing who we are on the basis of Jesus' love for us. It's like that FedEx envelope just comes in the mail and it says, here it is, it's all yours. You didn't earn it, you didn't beg for it, you didn't, you didn't crawl on your knees to get it. Jesus just said before the foundation of the world, I knew you, I've redeemed you, I've adopted you, you're my child, I've put my seal of approval on you. And so our responsibility now is to spend the rest of our lives learning to live into that design, that purpose that God has for us. And if we had read the rest of into chapter 2, you would read Ephesians 2.10, and it says that God, God has created you for a wonderful purpose that he's making known to us. He said, well, pastor, why? What's your basis for this? What's your basis for this? And I went back and I look at Ephesians chapter 5, that's later in the book, verses 1 and 2, and it's there on the screen for you. You could read it with me. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and look at verse 2, and live in love. That's why we're here. And so even if you're a pastor, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you are a teacher, you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, you're unemployed, whatever your station in life is, whatever you're doing, that is our number one call. We're beloved by God, and so we live in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it really mean then to live in love as Christ loved us? Well, a couple nights ago, I had the privilege, I had the privilege of leading a wedding ceremony right here in this church. And then after the ceremony, we went to this wonderful space where the reception was held. And often when I, my wife and I go to these things, outside of the immediate family and the couple, we really don't know a lot of the people. And I was amazed this man walked up to me a couple nights ago and he was thanking me for some of the words that I had to share. And then he started just uh, talking with me and telling me about a time in his life when he went through a very, very difficult time. He had this wonderful job and then he lost his job. And the mortgage bill started coming in and the electric bill and the kids needed groceries and clothes. And you know how life is daily. Those expenses, they just keep coming. But this guy now didn't have a job. He didn't know what to do. And he said one day he was at home. He didn't know what to do. He was praying. He was begging God, Lord, I need a job. Help me. And he's pleading and he's praying, God, help me, help me, help me. And as he prayed, he said he suddenly almost heard like God's voice in his head and God said, okay, when are you going to stop talking and just listen to me? And he said this to me. He said, for four hours, I sat there in silence, just listening. And somewhere in those four hours, he said, 
the Lord spoke to him and reminded him of a friend that he has in Indiana. And he said, call this guy. He'll have a job for you. He called the guy up. He said the guy hired him over the phone. The guy started paying him even before he showed up for work. The guy started providing for this man. And he said, that experience changed my life. And so he said, from that happened to this day, and he was telling me of stories after story of how now he not only prays, but he takes time to listen. And he said, I'll give you an example. He said, one day I was in, in, uh, I was in Starbucks sitting there having my coffee, and uh, this couple walked in and they sat down, and he looked at them, regular couple, and he said he heard not a voice, but just this sense and, and if God has spoken to you before, you know what I'm talking about. You don't hear a, a booming voice, but somehow you know what you're supposed to do. That's the voice of God. And he said, the Holy Spirit said to him, go up to that couple and give them all the money that you have. Now, the one thing I forgot to ask him was, how much money did you have? But he got up and he went over to the couple and he said, I'm sorry, I, I know you think I'm crazy but I believe that I'm supposed to give you all the money that I have. And whatever that money was, he handed it over to the couple, and he said the wife, the woman, looked up at him and said, were you in church this Sunday? She said, excuse me. He said, excuse me? How did you know to give us this money? And he said, well, I, I, I just think God is telling me that I should give you this money. And the woman said, you know, my husband and I were sitting here, and we were came to Starbucks because we just wanted space to talk. We were on the verge of deciding not to go back into the mission work that God has called us to do because a lot of the donations we were getting were drying up and we were just saying, well, maybe God is done with us. Maybe this is time for us to move on and do something else. And they said, God, if you want us to continue, show us a sign. And voila, this man shows up, hands them all this money, and that just incentivized them to say, we're going to continue doing what God has called us to do. And you say, well, how does that relate to Christ-like love? Well, look at the next slide I have for you. What does Christ-like like love entail? Listen to this now. It entails selfless love for God and neighbor. So it's not an emotional thing now. It is very earthy. It's very rooted. It's very grounded. It's very practical. When you are filled with Christ-like love, you then have this love for God and neighbor. You have this willingness to serve others rather than to be served. I'm going to linger on that a little bit. Christ-like love. Thirdly, it involves forgiving others because we have been forgiven. And it means approaching life with humility. We want to be known by that. We want all of our brothers and sisters here at First Prayers. doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't have how much money you have in the bank. Thomas Akempis said it doesn't matter how much you've read. What's going to happen on Judgment Day is how much did you do? Christ-like love. I pray that for myself, at home, with my wife, with my children, with my neighbors. I pray that for us, 
in the streets, on the bus, on the subway, in our cars, at the bank, at the supermarket, that, that these qualities of Christ's love which so pervade our lives, and that is what will make the resurrection and the reality of who Jesus is believable because they will see it in you. They'll see it in me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Amen. I am currently reading through the book of Deuteronomy, and yesterday I saw these precious words, words that you already know, and it so relates to what we're talking about here this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And then this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And I believe these words describe the Jesus way of life, right? Giving is not based on duty. It's not based on being manipulated, but it's based on love for God. And as you contemplate your giving in this new year, and I just want to thank everyone who showed up and supported our church with their time and their talents and their resources in 2021. Let's do it again in 2022. As you look at the screen, you will see all the different ways in which you can give and you can support God's work, and we can be people who are filled with Christ's love in Evanston and in this community of Chicago. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table, let us remember the words of Jesus when he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I invite you now to join me in prayer. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. In sending Christ, the light of the world, you revealed your glory to the nations. You sent a star to guide seekers of wisdom to Bethlehem that they might worship Christ. Your signs and witnesses in every age lead people from every place to worship him. And we praise you that in him... We become your children, baptized into your presence. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the heavenly choirs and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sings to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. You sent your only begotten Son, 
in whom your fullness dwells to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. Revealing your love, Jesus taught those who would hear him, healed those who believed in him, received all who sought him, and lifted the burden of their sin. We glorify you for your great power and love at work in Christ by the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made us a new people by water and the Spirit. We give you thanks that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And gracious God, we pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Through Christ, and with Christ, and in Christ, and in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, eternal God, now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen. <laughs>